Hey guys, welcome to this episode of the Street Cop Training Podcast. I'm your host, founder and CEO of Street Cop Training. My name is Dennis Benino. Today, I have with me Josh Lott, who's a police officer in Texas who, uh, coincidentally enough, I happened to get to spend some time with while I was teaching down there. Uh, only a few short, I don't know, it was even a month or two months after the incident occurred. And uh, he was already out and out of recovery and got to have lunch with him and spend some time with him. And then, you know, invited him to the street cop training conference in Atlantic city. Next one up, by the way, is Nashville, Tennessee, April 23rd to the 28th, 2023. You do not want to miss that one. We already have two great speakers. We have Kyle Carpenter and um, Rob O'Neill for that event. That is the gentleman who killed the son of bin Laden. And the other guy is, a, I think he's the youngest Congressional Medal of Honor winner uh, in the country when he jumped on a grenade to save his fellow Marines. Real cool people. Very excited. Those are the first two that we have lined up, and we've got some real interesting names on the board where we're waiting to hear back from. But anyway, um, Josh, why don't we start by maybe you giving us a little background about who you are, how long you've been on the job, where you grew up, things like that. All right. So uh, I've been with Burleson PD for four years. I uh, started late, later than than usual. Uh, I was 32 when I first started. Um, grew up back and forth from Fort Lauderdale to uh, Fort Worth, Texas, um, due to my parents splitting at a young age. Uh, went to high school here. Um, all my friends growing up pretty much here in, in Texas, so uh, this is home to me. But uh, I started originally as a firefighter and uh, made my way over to law enforcement did uh, you start getting into girls is that why <laughs> no actually my father uh, is a retired police officer and 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 i just found you know in his footsteps it was something that i wanted to do since i was eight years old i used to put the pins and badges and stuff like that on his shirt so this is something i've always wanted to do that's cool keep going oh gotcha so, um, so when I started as a, as a firefighter and when I was 19, um, I did so just simply because my dad was telling me about how law enforcement wasn't the, uh, you know, same as it used to be and things are changing. He didn't want the same kind of a thing. Um, you know, with the politics and stuff like that, he didn't want me to get involved with it. So, um, ultimately I took his advice as a young, as a young, uh, man and, and took that route. But I uh, had that kind of that flame still lit um, 14 years later and still and still had to go after it just to see what it was about. And that's what brought me to, to Burleson PD. So um, Are you happy with your decision to go into law enforcement. 100 percent. This is where I belong. This is the thing that was missing. Yeah, this the thing that was missing tonight is is ultimately what I found in law enforcement. So. Hopefully, so, yeah. yeah. I know. Um, she was gonna. She, she was gonna have to edit this. Our our editor, but um, mm -hmm. I I don't know. Do you do you usually have good internet service where you are? Yeah. You want me to change? Uh, you change locations? I can. No, you're good. It'll, it'll... We'll keep it. We'll keep it rolling. I I'm not getting a thing on my end where it says it's, we're having a um a failed internet connection, but we'll just continue to try to keep it rolling. Just, but it is choppy. 
Maybe, maybe, maybe I'll shut this down and come back to it again. Um, actually, it looks all right now. Let's see if we can make it roll. So let me know if you want me to move move a little bit in like a different location or something like that because I might be able to get better um, better Wi-Fi in a different location in my house. It's it's good right now. Let's see what happens. We'll try it one more time. Okay. All right. So, um, you know, back to you, you scratching the itch of you being a law enforcement officer. Your father did not want you to get into it uh, due to politics. And and then I asked you about, you know, was you have the choice to do 100 percent? Yes, it was. Uh, it's where Absolutely. you belong. Oh, yeah, so, this is. And there was no doubt about it. Cool. where. Well, let me let me start with this. Let's go to the. The night of the incident occurring and. The first thing I want to ask you is: Was there anything weird in the air that night? Did you did you feel any differently? Did you think something bad was going to happen? Do you have any intuition, any sixth sense? No, no, not at all. This was another night. You know, I, I usually feel pretty good. I'm pretty excited about going to work every night. Um, I you know kind of have my normal routine, stuff like that. Typically, you know, officers do. So I don't live too far from the PD and. Um, there was just nothing in the air, nothing out of the norm that, that I picked up on at all. So walk us through what happened. So um, it was about four, just after four o'clock in the morning. We, I was in a residential neighborhood, stopped at a stop sign. We've had um, <clears throat> a uh, large number of catalytic converter thefts in the area. And so four o'clock in the morning is usually pretty quiet. I start hearing something, a sound of a vehicle. It sounds familiar to me. It sounds, you know, like it's a missing the catalytic converter. I can tell it's, you know, getting closer to me. So it comes into my view down the street that is uh, crossing my path. I'm at an intersection. Um, once I see the vehicle, uh, it passes in front of me and my headlights, you know, shining into it. I can see it's occupied three times. Um, two males, one female. And it, as it got closer, you know, the more confident I was that it was missing catalytic converter. So kind of sparked my interest. I wanted to, you know, investigate a little bit as it continued on, there was a stop sign a little further down. So I continued watching as they applied their brakes. I noticed that there was a defective brake light. So once I got my PC, I pulled out from where I was. Um, hit my lights and they ended up stopping at a stop sign that um, was just a little ways down position my vehicle. And it was odd because um, that night I actually uh, was, I'd lost my voice like the night before. So I was hoarse. Um, I'd entered my, the plate in and the information into the MCT, got the return and um, trying to, you know, save my voice as much as possible. Yeah. Verify, verify the vehicle information. And um, everything looked good. I stepped out of my vehicle um, and I was saying that uh, this was a key point that I uh, made a passenger side approach. So exiting out of my vehicle, I went back behind my patrol unit, passenger side and approach from that. Um, checked the rear passenger side um, or the passenger side rear um, occupant. He was uh, looked up at me, kind of waved, did a little head nod. Um, you know, made sure he didn't have anything in his hands. 
I noticed the driver at that point, he was looking down the driver's side of the vehicle through his wind, through his um, rearview mirror and also turned around. So I thought it was a little strange, kind of gave me a little red flag and um, was curious as to know, you know, what he was, why he was looking for me, why he was so interested in where I was. So I made my way to the B pillar, see the female passenger, check her hand. She's, you know, doesn't look, nothing, you know, sticks out. So um, the, the window's up on the passenger side and the driver's still looking either in his window or, I'm sorry, in his mirror or, or back um, on the driver's side of the vehicle. So to try to get his attention, I knock on the window and I got my light, you know, it's dark. Knock on the window and as soon as I knock on the window, there was, he, I guess he realized that I was on the opposite side and it was all one motion. He just turned to his right and shot me, boom, 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 three times through the window. Once uh, he hit my, the first one hit my um, center center chest and, and the vest, which caught that round. Um, I don't remember seeing the gun because it was so quick. I just remember the uh, muzzle flash and it illuminating his face. And uh, the second shot I had turned already, got me in the side of the chest and uh, stayed in there. And as I continued to turn, the, the last one got me in the neck, entered the right side and exited the left side. So from there, I, they, they took off and uh, I immediately turned uh, in toward the vehicle and then ran back towards uh, my patrol unit. Made my way around the back of my patrol unit to the driver's side. And um, it was weird because I knew I'd gotten shot. I knew where I'd, I'd been shot. I knew how many times I'd been shot. And it was all really fast. <clears throat> Once I made my way to like the front portion of my patrol unit, I took this deep breath. And as I exhaled, my tunnel vision just disappeared. And I, I had a, a, like an incredible, uh, like a high level of, of all my senses were just incredibly high. And uh, to the point where I felt like I could almost see 360 degrees. So as I'm, um, I grabbed my neck and hold my neck because I thought I was shot directly in the neck. So I checked my mouth and my neck and, you know, the front forced for an exit wound. And I'm like, okay, there's no exit wound there. And um, I feel my fingertips. I feel my toes. And then it's like, I, I remember feeling realizing that, oh, okay, I'm still standing. I'm still, I'm good. So I can still fight. So that's when I went, went around the back portion of my uh, patrol unit, stepped outside from the, uh, the driver's side rear and drew my pistol and returned fire at the vehicle as it was traveling away. Called out, shots fired. Um, I've been hit three times and uh, then units started coming. So, how long till uh, the first unit arrived? Two and a half minutes. Did you at any point think about driving yourself to the closest hospital? And how close was the closest hospital? Um, <clears throat> the closest hospital is prob is is pretty close. It's like uh, you know, ten minutes away. Uh, 
with lights if you were like normal traffic and stuff like that. In mid, like midnights, it would have been five minutes. Okay. Um, we had actually previously had a discussion during briefing as far as where I, I, I mentioned it. I brought it up as far as where I'd want to go if something critical happened. And that close hospital that I'm referring to is not a level one trauma center by any means. And so um, I mentioned that night that, you know, if anybody's going to take me anywhere, take me downtown to this uh, to the hospital uh, that I was choosing. And um, and so the, the officer that came um, to pick me up, um, shout out to Officer Cho. That's his name. <laughs> um, he scooped me up. And we, uh, we made it downtown to that hospital in 11 minutes. And so it was a little bit further, but hundred percent appropriate for the situation. Yeah. We actually have medical training. Um, and we've asked that question to Sean Barnett, who is a paramedic and has treated many, many gunshot wounds and major trauma. And he said, you you do want to try to make it to a trauma center. If anything, they're more appropriately fit. If you can, if you have the time to get to a trauma center, did you say that you were you spoke about it that night of where you want to be brought to? No, this was um, I spoke about it. It was about three weeks prior to this incident, somewhere around there. Interesting. Uh, what happens when you have a plan in place and how it seems to unfold and know exactly what to do? Um, Absolutely. So, what kind of? Uh, I know that you've told me about. Tell me about your trip to the hospital. How are you? I guess I can preface it by saying this. And I know these answers already because you and I have talked. What kind of medical gear and trauma gear did you have on you or in the car or was issued to you by your police department? A tourniquet. Um, we have, you know, your your standard uh, medical kits in the back of the... Uh, but not, not like an IFAC, right? Not like a major con- bleeding control kit, right? No, nothing major like that. I just, uh, the only thing that I was using was my hand to apply pressure. No. You th- do you think as they're going through this, that it would be important for people to purchase an IFAC kit for themselves? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, what, kind of, what, what kind of medical training have you guys had with uh, self-sustaining care in case you are shot or, or deal with something like this? Um, in general or me personally? You know, in general, from... it was offered to you and then, and then you personally prior to this incident? Yeah, so in, in general, you know, we take a... a um, um, first, uh, I mean, what do you call it? Um, uh, see your, your standard CPR class, um, in, you know, in, in, uh, and then in the Academy, you know, you take your emergency medical care, you know, um, right, first responder, first responder treating, treating wounds and, you know, but, treating, like but again, the question I'm trying to lean towards here is the, um, so there, there are specific trainings designed to teach police officers how to apply tourniquets themselves and pressure bandages themselves and do self-care. Do you have any of that training? Just, just the tourniquets. Okay. And how, what was that? Like a, like a, like a, a brief, of how to put it on some shit like that. Yeah, it was, it was super quick. Yeah, we put it on ourselves. We held it on there for a few minutes and then we took it off and that was pretty much the extent of it. I'd never put a tourniquet on since then. Interesting. Uh, so what you would say is that you probably didn't have a lot of training on on self-sustaining care for uh, for gunshot wounds, right? Correct. Yeah. Or are you saying to me that I said to you, like, how did you, did you use go Like, you know, and you use, now nah, I just, my partner put his hand on my neck and started just driving the police car. 
Yeah, that's essentially what happened. I jumped in the passenger seat and we held ass to the hospital. Um, now you get to the hospital. What happens next? I, I know that you, you at some point called your wife and uh, tell, me about, tell me about that experience and going to the hospital. So, um, <clears throat> so I used my the, the officer's phone that was uh, that picked me up. He called my wife, and as it was ringing, uh, he, I think he put he pressed the FaceTime button. So oh, I see shit. myself on the <laughs> I see myself on the screen, and I'm looking at myself. And I'm like, oh man, I look like shit. But I was like thinking to myself, well, I mean, you know, this might be the the last conversation because I didn't know what kind of what the extent of my injuries were at that point so i was just gonna go with it so she picks up and um yeah take your time man it's an emotional moment you're revisiting it's for sure <clears throat> she picks up and the first thing I said to her was, um, <clears throat> I said, it's the worst phone call you're ever going to get because I've been shot. And uh, she took it like a champ, though. She, um, you know, I, I know that she wasn't expecting that kind of a call, but she handled it well. So, yeah, I talked to I talked to her the throughout the ride to uh, the hospital, and um, you know, she asked me some just general questions about it. She had, she I guess I only told her that I got shot in the neck, and mentioned that I got shot in the chest too. So when she got to the hospital, or when I got to the hospital, she got there shortly afterwards, and uh, she she saw multiple, you know, gunshot wounds, and um, she didn't know how many times I'd been shot at that point. So she she was pretty concerned. She came to the hospital to meet you there once she told her she got her shit together and started getting up and going. Oh, immediately. Yeah, she was. She she called her mom. Her mom made her way over to our place to stay with the kids, and and she just. She got in her vehicle and went. Was there any plan in place by your police department to do notification in case something like this had happened? Was there some kind of SOP or anything that was in place that was just never even discussed because you never thought it was going to happen? Yeah, th there is. Um, it, you know, typically um, either a supervisor or a, a, an admin, you know, someone would be selected to come to my um, my house and, and notify my wife and, and pick her up and drive her. But that wasn't what was going through my head at the time. I was thinking, no, no, know, I get I got, I'm just asking in general. Yeah. 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 No, I, I was, you know, that's typically what would happen just so she doesn't have to drive herself and stuff like that. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, and even, even looking back, I just, I don't regret it. I, I'm glad that I called her and spoke with her over the phone. Cause if those were my last moments, well, at least I got to talk to her. That's cool. Respect. Yeah. So you get to the hospital. How long before your wife gets there? Uh, it seemed like just a few minutes. Okay. And were you being treated already? Were you in trauma already? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I got out of the patrol car and uh, walked to a hospital bed. 
they were waiting out there in the ambulance bay for me. And so I just laid down that they wheeled me in and started cutting off my, um, my gear and my, my uniform and stuff like that. And I uh, just got to work. And, um, how was the level of care that you received? Did you feel like they were really good? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Top notch. It's great. Where, what hospital is that? John Peter Smith. Downtown Fort Worth. In Fort Worth, right? Correct. Um, what was the injuries you sustained as a result of the incident? Um, <clears throat> so it was a 38 special, which uh, was around. I got one gunshot wound to the ch- the right upper chest, which uh, entered my chest from the side and came to rest just outside my uh, my rib cage. And um, the second one was uh, through my neck. Um, it was in the right in, entrance wound is the right side, exit wound is on the left side, and it missed my spine by a very small margin. So I, uh, yeah, yeah, I got lucky. So, how much time did you spend in the hospital? Um, a day and a half. You're amazing, I, I amazing got, dude. <laughs> I got I got released the next day. Yeah, yeah, it's because you're a psychopath. <laughs> And then yeah, how, much, how much, how much PT did you have after that? Uh, oh, no, none. I didn't have any. I mean, I, I didn't have any of that. I just, I went home and they took, once I found out that I wasn't going to have surgery or stitches, you know, they flushed the neck, the venture I went to the neck with stair water. And, um, and once they sent me home, it was just to heal up. So I was, I was home for 10 days before I hit the gym. And then, um, I was back to work a little longer than just, just right about three weeks. And I went back to work actually the Monday, the the night that, or the, I'm sorry, the morning that I met you for lunch in May, uh, the night prior to was the first night I went back to patrol. Um, you're insane, which is fine, (laughs) but I understand why people do certain things. Uh, And, you know, I guess, I guess for mental health and, and, you know, it's what, I hear that frequently, like you did, uh, you know, I went back to work because I wanted to go back to work. Right. Um, when you went back to work uh, shortly thereafter, did you find yourself dealing with anything uh, that is being triggered as a result of like PTSD of going through such a major traumatic incident? Were you on guard a little bit more and nervous? I, I was, there's a little anxiety, uh, but it was more of like, I was anxious. Um, I was anxious to know if there was going to be anything that, that triggered, you know what I mean? Um, but yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm big on kind of that there's something bothering me hitting it head on. Uh And when I went to, when I went back to work, um, I went back, we rode two man officer Cho and I, and, uh, I told him that I wanted to make a, a traffic stop in the same exact location just to clear the air. Mm-hmm. So that's what we, so we set out to do. And there was, there was, you know, once, once we made a traffic stop and, uh, you know, it, we went through the, you know, through the motions of everything. And I was a little, I was a little, you know, more cautious just because the last, you know, the previous time that I'd made a traffic stop, I'd been shot three times. So, you know, obviously I'm approaching with a little more caution and, um, trying to be paid a little bit more attention to, 
maybe some of the things that I felt that I uh, could have picked up on in the incident. Um, it, but it was more of a subconscious thing. So, but at, once we got through that and, uh, you know, it's a, it's a pretty quick process. I felt pretty good about it and it was, you know, I got back to, you know, making traffic stops regularly and with no issues. I didn't have any sort of PTSD, any nightmares, any night sweats or anything like that. You know, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to go back a little bit. Sure. Actually, let, let's, before I do that, tell me about what happened with the shooter. What was that all about? So, um, the shooter left the scene, uh, with the other occupants of the vehicle, uh, about a mile down the road, uh, the vehicle caught fire. They fled that scene and ultimately he ended up, um, coming in contact with a female and, uh, shooting and killing her. Um, Just a random citizen, right? Correct. What time um, of the morning was this? I think, I don't know exactly what time that he uh, came in contact with her, but I want, I want to, I feel like, I want to say it was somewhere in the, uh, like, uh, somewhere between eight and nine o'clock that he, uh, he shot her at a, at a different agency's, um, police department. And, um, then he took her vehicle and made a run for it. And, uh, uh, he headed towards Oklahoma, Gainesville PD and, uh, Cook County Sheriff's department, um, were got it, or I, I believe it was DPS, uh, state trooper and Cook County Sheriff's department ended up getting in a short pursuit with them. And then, um, he fled the vehicle and they later located him in a, like a small wooded area where they took him into custody. Subsequently charged with uh, a homicide and then the attempted homicide of you, correct? It's going to be a capital murder and um, ag assault with a deadly weapon on a public servant, amongst uh, many other charges. Yeah. Um, did he give a confession or a motive, the reason or why he did it? Anybody else with him give a confession, anything like that? Uh, from what I heard, he said um, he hates police officers, especially Burleson. And uh, he, he was tired of Burleson uh, police messing with him. But um, when, he, when he was asked if he had any remorse or if he was apologetic or anything like that, he said, no, I hate cops, especially Burleson. Interesting. All right, so now I'm going to back up where I wanted to go before. Uh, earlier, you said you had a hoarse voice. You uh, had lost your voice. Did you call out your traffic stop prior to the, uh, the traffic stop or did you just do it yourself? It, it was, I, I did it over the MCT. I did not call it out because of my voice. Okay. Uh, did they know where you were? Was that, were they able to get your location through the MCT or you just were? were they, uh, yeah, they were, they were following me, um, on the MCT specifically because I, I wasn't, you know, um, uh, using the radio very much that night, but when within my, uh, my radio traffic after the fact, when I advised that, uh, shots were fired, um, I, you know, advised how many times I've been hit, the uh, suspect's uh, description, direction of travel, vehicle description. Um, and then I, I also uh, advised them my location over the radio at that point. All right. Um, you know, I, I want to just iterate that I want people to be aware of 
it's important to, especially when we're engaging in something, to let people know where you are. Because God forbid you couldn't get on the radio and all you could do is try to send some kind of signal out. Absolutely. You wouldn't have been able to convey it. So, you know, I'm not here to quarterback. I'm just saying when people think about this stuff, these are the things that could happen. These are some of the detriment of of taking a shortcut or bothering dispatch when we're, you know, acting in a law enforcement capacity where there's a, a highly high likelihood of there being some kind of major incident occurring. So, again, I'm not trying to say I would have done anything differently. That's not the game. I just want to make a point for people. Uh, let's sure. go into this. Did you, you know, you made a passenger side approach. Was that taught to you in the academy? No, that was, um, I was listening to a podcast, your podcast, and you mentioned something um, that just, just happened to click with me. Um, and it was around three weeks prior to this incident as well. You said something to the effect of why would anybody else, why would anybody make anything other than a passenger side approach? And when you said that on the podcast, I thought to myself, it's like, it just makes sense. Because when you approach from the driver's side to the driver's side of the suspect vehicle, you've got no cover, no concealment. And it because it made so much sense, I immediately put it into practice. And um, I, I'm 100%, you know, I believe that that night, if I'd have made a driver's side approach, um, I'd have been killed. Yep. Well, dude, that does a lot for me, to be honest with you. Um, a lot of time, energy, and effort go into the things that I'm trying to do. And to hear that, it reminds me of why we're even doing this podcast. And if you haven't heard that before, um, I don't really have to elaborate much more than what Josh has said now regarding that. So uh, I'm glad that by some stroke of luck, you got to find us on a podcast and heard that episode. And uh, it's just my my obligation to make sure that I'm sharing that knowledge with folks, and that's all. And I, I'm, I'm appreciative that you that you listen, dude, because that's what means the most to me. So I appreciate absolutely. that. Absolutely. And I'm, quick, I'm glad uh, it helped you. Yeah, no, absolutely. The uh, and I, I mean, I, I tell everybody that. That's one thing that I share with everybody. Is I say, I tell them exactly where I got the information, and I tell them all the time that making a, set, a passenger side approach literally saved my life. It literally did. And I, I was I was turned on to the podcast and Street Cop in general by uh, another officer of my agency. I told her I'd give her a shout out. Her name's uh, Rachel Ayuso. So this goes out to her and thanks for turning me on to Street Cop. Hey, Rachel, can we send her a t-shirt? Is that cool? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So tell the, her uh, just, yeah, tell her to email Lisa at streetcop.com and right. uh, let her address, name, and shirt size and we'll send her something cool. Sure thing. Um, yeah, for sure. Okay, my last two questions. First one is, what have you learned from this incident? Nothing's guaranteed. Nothing, you know, you have to be, you have to be on your A game. Um, you, you mentioned in your podcast, treat every traffic stop like it's going to be your last. Like, and, and I did, you know, and I, I honestly believe that because um, I approached it the way I did. Granted, I did get shot, but I mean, I'm 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 here to talk about it. And had it been a different situation where I'd have done things differently, um, who knows what the outcome would have been? But I know that just by taking the advice from from you and and the information that I get from your podcast, uh, you know, staying on point and um, 
not looking at every situation like it's the same as the previous or anything like that. Um, you know, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta have your head in the game. You know what I'm saying? You can't, there's no time to, to relax or to be complacent or lackadaisical because it, it, it's your life. It, it's not a game. You know, that actually encompassed my second question, uh, which was going to be, what is advice you have for others? And I think you got it. So what have you learned from this? What advice you give for others? You nailed two questions with one. You killed two birds with one stone. Sweet. Yeah. So is there anything else you want anybody to know before we uh, wrap this thing up today? Um, yeah, real quick. Um, I, mean, did, I, I know we've, hit, we've already hit on this, but uh, the, the whole passenger side approach thing, because it's so key to, to, to my survival. Um, I was literally texting um, another friend of mine who's, an, who's a deputy. Uh, his name's Ty Kimry. We were texting about passenger side approaches the night before, like, I, I work midnight shift. So it was like eight or nine o'clock at night before I went into ship, we were texting back and forth. And I was telling him the things that I had heard from the podcast from you. We were just discussing it. I had no idea that this was going to happen, obviously in, in my near future, because it was so fresh in my mind. Um, you know, e even in the situation that I was, where I was at an intersection, it wasn't necessary for me to make a passenger side approach. Uh, in re in regards to the the location, you know what I mean, or or the um, the environment, you know what I mean. It didn't force me to make a passenger side. I did so, you know, uh, voluntarily and strategically. Um, but there's a lot that goes. There's a lot of lo small pieces um, that had a huge impact, and you know that's that's another thing that you know it kind of you know goes it goes back to the question you're, the second question you were going to ask. Um, as far as what I would, you know, tell others, um, once one small decision is, it, it could be it for you. You know what I mean? So for me, it was, it was the passenger side approach. Who knows what it's going to be for, for anyone else. And you know, it, you know, you know, just as well as I do, there were, you know, 29 other officers over at the, at the conference that, that, um, had similar incidents. And so, um, I don't know if they were all listening to street cop prior to, but the ones that were, uh, I would not be surprised one bit that they took and utilized information, um, from street cop, um, whether it be the podcast or, uh, the group chat, Facebook page, um, that contributed to saving their life, um, and, and, or other officers' lives. So, um, the, the fact that you, that your goal is to make officers better and safer, um, so we can go home at the end of the day or into the night is, I mean, it, you're doing it like you, you're doing it. So keep doing it because it's, it is allowed me to. Give me a second. Yeah, dude, take your time, man. You get me worked up too. <clears throat> I've got three kids and a, and a wife.
and be, because of you know starting with Rachel and as well as yourself <clears throat> I may have, may not have gone home that night or the next morning but uh you know our goal in law enforcement is to find bad guys and put them in jail and then go home after our shift and ultimately that's what happened i found a bad guy he went to jail and i ended up going home and so i just want to thank you no you have to thank me like that i appreciate it i mean i think a lot had to do with you but i appreciate it and it just with all the problems in the world and all the problems in my life and and all the things that everybody has to deal with, um, it's these moments that I I really cherish and and I didn't know I was going to get such a great gift this morning uh, for the rest of the day, which probably shifted the whole day for me on where my mentality is in a good way. And so thank you for uh, paying me back. And uh, I would say we're pretty even now, dude. And just knowing that and the, the enthusiasm that I'll bring forth with you saying that into the continual efforts of the things we're trying to do. Um, I appreciate it tremendously, Josh. Absolutely. Yeah. I didn't realize that I was going to be so emotional during this. You know, I tried to prep myself and, you know, get through this, but, uh, just a fucked up yeah. thing, dude. And you know what? Yeah. Like, don't feel bad, dude. I literally, I have four kids and people know that. I, I, every time I fucking watch Coco, I cry. It just happens to us as men. <laughs> I mean, like, <laughs> like it just, I mean, if I was 25, it's a different story, a different person at 40 years old, you know, I, yeah. I, uh, and, and don't be ashamed of it one bit, brother. I think that it really hits home for people when, when they can hear the emotion in somebody's voice of, of the seriousness and of the situation. It's a very big deal. And yeah. it actually speaks volumes of your character and humility to open up and express yourself in the way that you have. So, it's real cool that you did it, man. And I appreciate yeah. you. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I have, and I, you know, don't get me wrong. I have no regrets, you know, this, you know, even, even within the incident, you know, like I tell people, I'm glad that it was me because, so it didn't have to happen to somebody else. One of the, one of the other officers with my agency. Yeah. Well, you're probably the guy who could, who was resilient enough to deal with it. Yeah. Yeah. So you were chosen brother. And, um, you know, let your message carry on. Everything's a blessing in disguise. And I think you really set an example for everybody on on how you handled the whole thing. And you should be proud of that. You really were a fucking tough motherfucker. And that's real cool. Thanks. Yeah. Well, listen, man. Um, always a pleasure to see you. And I'm sure I'll see you again in the future. And if you want to come to class, I've got one coming up in Fort Worth uh, in January. You know, come to that one too. And I couldn't make the first day or whatever it was, was the last time, but we'll yeah, be no, in Fort Worth, man. Yeah, if, if you're, yeah, I'll, I'll check that class. Then, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, also, obviously, it's on me. Just come as a guest. Yeah, and then as far as the uh, the conference too, I'm I'm already trying. To, I'm already. I know I'm going, and I'm just trying to get other officers to go too. So I appreciate it, man. Well, Absolutely. we got to admit the conference and uh, the last one we just did in October was badass. Yeah, no, it, it was. It was, 
And then the fact that you were already talking about hey, you think this was badass, wait till next one. I can't even wait to go to, to get to that. Yeah, I'm sort of really, I'm setting the bar really hard, high to start. I'm like, man, how do I keep fucking going up another notch every year <laughs> yeah. after year? You know, it, it gets, it, when you when you set it so high to begin with and really deliver on it, I was very proud of it. Um, and I delivered pretty, pretty much in with the vision I wanted it to be. And I'm like, God, this is great. But Jesus, how the fuck am I going to top this one? You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, no, it was absolutely. But it, yeah, because it was, it was badass. And everybody there, all the instructors, I mean, it was so like, everybody's so grounded and so humble and, and they have humility themselves. You know what I mean? And so like, it, it was just so cool to like feel connected with people almost instantly. You know what I mean? It was, it was awesome. Good group of people, dude. And I think the people that follow us and listen to the things that we do uh, all cut from the same cloth. What can I say? I think that's, and I'm proud to say that as, as the leader of the organization, that's where I set the bar of humility and and personality. And I think the law of attraction comes into play in between our instructors and uh, our, our people who who are our family in this and who come along for the ride and, and, and look to us for the assistance help they need to do this job proficiently and safely but hey man i just want to wish you a merry christmas my brother as we're thank about you. 10 days away from christmas thank you very much merry christmas to yourself yeah dude and i'll be talking and you know you can always reach out anytime you want appreciate you taking the time to do this dude and it's worth it for a lot of people so my hat's off to you for sharing your story with us well thank you for the opportunity um it was it was great it's my pleasure i appreciate it and um i look forward to you know talking to you again and hopefully seeing you soon yeah, dude, if you want to go to that class, just shoot, just uh, let me know, right? Just shoot yeah. shoot an email over. Shoot an email to, um, I don't know, Jess at Street Cop. Yeah, I got your the contact information. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I can, I'll let y'all know for sure. Okay, cool, man. Appreciate it. Awesome. All right, Josh. You have a good I'll day. See you, buddy. All right, take care.